Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, the out-of-town scoreboard, not favorable in the uh, Connor Bedard sweepstakes. The Capitals down to the Bruins. The Hurricanes down to the Red Wings. Or Hurricanes up on the Red Wings, I should say. And uh, also, uh, still to come, the Vancouver Canucks against the Anaheim Ducks. We'll have the pregame coming at 6 o'clock. Uh, now joining us, it is Pat Steinberg of Sportsnet 960 in Calgary Flamestock. Uh, thanks for this, Pat. How are you? I'm good, boys. How we doing? Just uh, watching the scoreboard for all the things that aren't the playoffs. You know, that's how uh, Vancouver life is. Well, we get to uh, we get to experience a little bit of Vancouver <laughs> life tomorrow they are, with a meaningless game and the dome to wrap up the year. You're like, can they can they have a chance to maybe get a top five, top four pick? Maybe can they you know, start looking at the draft lottery standings all of a sudden, Pat? No, we well, I mean, look, uh, I'll be honest. There were plenty of people in this market who uh, read some tea leaves and thought, you know, maybe at the trade deadline, it might be a good idea to be a little more pragmatic. Maybe uh, Tyler Toffoli or uh, Nikita Zadorov, maybe they should go down that road. Now, they didn't, and I understand why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in hindsight, the fact the Flames did not go and heavily stock up at the trade deadline, uh, that move makes it looks a whole lot better after the way that this season came to an end and the fact that they are officially not going back to the playoffs and what I think would be one of the more disappointing outcomes that we've had in this market in the last couple of decades. Like this one this one is not going over well and uh it's been a gut punch season for a lot of uh for a lot of Flames fans out here. It's it's been a it's been a meat grinder of a season, boys. Uh, here's some optimism for you because we've been keeping such a close eye to the standings. I know exactly what has to happen for every single team for every single outcome here. So the Flames <laughs> actually have a decent chance, Pat, to to have the 12th worst record, which means if they win the draft lottery, they could be picking second overall. I think I think maybe there could be a positive angle here for the Leafs for for the Calgary Flames if if they lose their final game and the Sabers, Preds, and, and the Penguins jump them. It could happen. See, like this, this is uh, this is the type of information that we need. Although they're probably going to go out tomorrow and uh, pound the San Jose Sharks and uh, finish off in a in a very um, very flamesy way, where they'd miss out on something like that. So they, uh, I mean, let's be honest the the the, the expectations for this group coming into the year um, were were to be trading away that first round pick and not even being able to be in the conversation to jump from 12th to second so yeah it's uh but you know what i appreciate your optimism i could have <laughs> i could have used that on our post game show last night oh i could only imagine uh the the reaction to the post game uh not uh having tyler Toffoli or rasmus anderson or anybody other than the nick ritchie shoot but um it's such a weird season for the flames right um 30 games they lose by one goal um was there any sympathy for how the season played out? That was this just a ton of bad luck running against the Flames all year long, or uh, how was the fan base taking it? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think there's a lot of uh, ah, it just wasn't our year, and uh, you know, next year the those things will turn around. I mean, because the fact that they lost all those games by one goal was 
kind of it, it was one of the the symptoms of kind of a larger root problem with this group and that larger root problem is is one that manifested itself in in so many different ways their inability to win one goal games that is a is a perfect example their inability to win an extra time last year uh, last night rather they tied a franchise record for the most extra time losses at 17 they're one away if somehow San Jose beats him in overtime or a shootout. The Flames will tie a dubious NHL record of the most overtime or extra time losses in NHL history with 18. Just imagine where you know one, one or two, even let alone half, but one or two of those 17 games that go that go their way that didn't this year, and they're in a completely or a much better situation. And we're not talking about them being eliminated or their top players not being able to get it done or whatever the case may be like this team was not right from early on in the season and it's 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 actually it's it's stunning to think back it feels like it's three years as opposed to just the number of months but they started with the best six game record in franchise history when they won five of their first six games and in this market it was like damn all of the expectations that we thought this team had had achieved were, were legit and this team is going to be able to prove or get the chance to prove that maybe they're better than the the group that last year was put on the table and maybe this group can be an even tougher out in the playoffs and then after that five and one start things went completely off the rails they lost seven in a row and really they were never able to recover after that and they've been kind of just a middling 500 team since then and the question the question then becomes is how could a team with the payroll that they've got and the finite window that they've got and the roster that everybody thought was as deep and formidable as any in the Western Conference, how could they underachieve to such a, to, to such a you know, stark degree like they have? And so it, I don't think there are very many who come away from this season think, thinking that it was just a bad luck or a bad luck year or where things didn't go their way. And, you know, I'm sure there, there definitely are, numbers that could point to it but the fact of the matter is guys they got bottom third like bottom of the bottom third goaltending after being the number four goaltending team in the nhl last year their bottom 10 this year and jacob markstrom went from being a vesna trophy runner-up to for the first three quarters of this season, he was letting in goals that I've never seen the guy let in on a regular basis in, in any of his stops, let alone being his third season in Calgary. And Jonathan Huberdeau had a historic drop from points per game from one season to the next. He's not even going to get to 60 this year, guys. He may not even, he may not even hit halfway to the 115 he had last year. He's at 55 right now. And so right now he needs a big final game just to get half of the points that he had last year. Matthew Kachuk has, I think, one more or one fewer point than Jonathan Huberto and Najem Kadri combined. And so all of these things make it really easy to say, no, this was not a bad luck season. This was a season where uh, a number of people underachieved in a massive way and where a coach did not get the most out of his roster. Uh, a year where one year ago, Daryl Sutter pushed every single button correctly. Every roster move he made, every hunch he had seemed to get a 
check mark beside it. And this year, every button he pushed with key players seemed to be the wrong button. And every hunch that he had or every adjustment that he made or every player usage decision that he made seemed to go against the team. And, and it's just it's incredible how things could go so right one year and so wrong the next. And I know they lost 219 points in Gaudreau and Kachuk, but it, uh, it's, more, it's more than just, I, I think in this market, it's more than just a bad luck year. And I think that the question now becomes kind of how deep do these issues run and what is the organization willing to do to make some changes this season after completely altering the direction of the team one summer ago. And, and I mean, the big question does kind of come down to who's going to be the man in charge making these moves. And is it a foregone? I think on the outside, you look at it and you say, well, Bradtree Living's contract's done at the end of the season. They haven't met expectations. Obviously, they should just go and hire a new GM. But, but it's not that simple, is it? It really isn't. And and the the scenario that exists now, if you look just at Bradtree Living, is that I think you can do a whole lot worse than Brad as a general manager of a team. Uh, and that's not to say that Brad has set this team up perfectly and has hit a bunch of home runs because there have been plenty of missteps that he's made in his nine seasons and an almost decade as general manager of this team. But, you know, there's also he, he's also been able to take this team from being where it was, which was a team that was kind of wandering in the wilderness as a kind of right now that the, the early 2000s Calgary Flames, or early 2010s Calgary Flames, rather, uh, very similar to what the last few years have been like in your market. Where it's like, okay, what, what is the direction here? Like, you're, you're trying to stay competitive, but you got aging players and you got nobody elite. And, you know, they, they really didn't even have a guy like Elias Pettersson that, that could enter the fray and, and be that potential savior going forward. So that he, he took them from that to turning them into a team that in most years, at least preseason expectations, would suggest they could be a competitive group. Problem is, this year, after all of the off-season changes, changes that he didn't completely orchestrate, some of them were necessitated by some bad hands that he was dealt, whether it be Johnny Gaudreau leaving or Matthew Kachuk basically saying, you should trade me because I'm not going to be here beyond the, the coming season. But this year they they went all in on being competitive now. And there were options for them to go a different direction. There were options for them to take the hands that they were dealt and say, this sucks and it's too bad because we just got our first Battle of Alberta in three decades and we just have the second best regular season in franchise history. They could have rebuilt or retooled or gone in a different direction, but they went all in on being competitive now and they signed a guy who's almost 30 to an $84 million contract and they signed a guy over 30 to a $49 million contract and so on and so forth. And, and they've kind of put themselves now in a spot where they don't have a ton of maneuverability, which is why it's so complicated because Brad True Living was the one who altered the direction of the franchise. And you're like, okay, well, he made those decisions last summer. He clearly had a vision. Do you want to give him that opportunity to keep the vision going? Or do you want to completely go in a different direction? And now a new GM comes in and they've got handcuffs on him because I, I can't imagine that a new GM is going to come in and say, okay, well, all these guys, these are my guys. These are who I want. And we're going to go forward like this. But 
tough to move Huberto's contract. It's tough to move Cadre's contract, so on and so forth. So, and then you've got the other kind of thing hanging over all this, guys. You've got a manager and his entire management group. So Brad Treliving and his three assistant general managers. None of them have contracts for next year. You've got every assistant coach in the organization that does not have a contract for next year. And you've got one guy who has got a two-year extension that starts next season in the head coach and Daryl Sutter. And you've got people in this market screaming for him to be the guy that ends up paying the price for the way this season went. So it makes for, it makes for some of the most um, big-picture existential conversations this team has had in ages. And that's after the entire organization and the direction of it got altered this past summer with, with how they went about their player personnel. So I did not think that a summer could be more interesting than what we saw last year, and yet it kind of feels like it's shaping up that way because, sad as you said, it's not that simple. It's just, well, his contract's up. They've underachieved. They underachieved this season. Time to go in a completely different direction because I, I don't think it's that easy a decision to make. Well, and it, you know, after all the moves last year, you know, you'd maybe hope for a quieter off season in terms of changes. But whether it's Tree Living or someone else, there's going to have to be some turnover here. And you know, I look at all of the contracts that are expiring at the end of next season: Tanev, Hannafin, Backlund, Lindholm, Toffoli. I mean. You've got to find out at least a little bit if some of these guys are staying or if you'd like to collect some assets and move them on before they're able to walk for free, no? I uh, A thousand percent. I think I think Elliot said it, Elliot Friedman said it on uh, today's, uh, Tuesday's Jeff Merrick show and basically said you know, they, they need to, one of the things that needs to be a priority and what he believes will be a priority is really eliminating the distractions that, plagued this team this year because there were a ton of them the outside and even inside noise that surrounded this team this year whether it be Huberto and Sutter being on very different pages or Kadri and Sutter being on very different pages or other veterans and Sutter being on different pages or the the coach and the GM being on different pages that creates a lot of white and sometimes other other louder noise right and and it can become really easy for a season to snowball out of control and get off the rails like this one did as a result of that negativity and that frustration and a dark cloud hanging over everything. And if you go into next year and now you have Elias Lindholm and Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin and Tyler Toffoli and guys like that, Michael Backlund, who don't have contracts for the coming season and you don't know what their future is going to be, I think that that just adds more unwanted noise after a season where that's all you've had. And that's why I think after this year and with there being some legitimate uncertainty as to whether or not Elias Lindholm has desired to sign back in Calgary long-term, he's the most important one. That's their best chance of that. He, he is their number one center. And he showed last year, especially as being a runner up for the Selkie, like this guy has the ability to be, a really good number one center in this league. Maybe not an elite number one center, but he's a guy that can take on that job and do it well and get you 70 to 80 points and be a two-way force. But if he doesn't want to re-sign, or if you don't get the commitment from him sometime this summer to re-sign, then you have to be okay with making a more pragmatic move. And and whether it's moving him in the offseason or being okay with moving him in the season regardless of what your record looks like closer to the trade deadline, 
because you cannot have the noise that surrounded the Johnny Gaudreau situation two years ago, and you cannot put yourself in that situation where you let a guy of that value and importance walk for nothing again. And they were able to make up for it pretty well this past summer, despite the way this year has gone. But I don't think you're going to be able to find lightning in a bottle like that again. And so same stuff with Lindholm applies to all those other guys. I think you need to be very deliberate in terms of the way you go about your business this summer. And if you're, if you get a, an idea that, yeah, there's something to be done here with Lindholm long-term, well then dial down on it and get it done. And if you're not getting those vibes, you might have to make the call yourself and say, yeah, you know what? We don't feel like this is going to happen. Let's go down the trade route. I don't know if the organization is going to do it, guys, because that's never really been the strong suit of the Flames in, in looking big picture and being more pragmatic about things. But with all those guys on expiring contracts, you could put yourself in even worse shape if you don't go about your business that way this summer. Uh, I'll leave you with one more positive here. The Winnipeg Jets, who who would look to be the team that's beating out the Flames for the playoff spot, and we'll see. At least they're not threatening their fans to move if you yeah. sell enough season tickets next season. <laughs> no, although I mean, we, we still don't have an arena deal, deal here, guys. Yeah, got true, a, true. We have a building that was built for the uh, 1988 Olympics. That's true. I, well, like, I don't know. I'm an 84. I don't remember the 88 Olympics <laughs> in Calgary. So, like, that, that's how old the Saddledome hey, is. I remember the Cool Runnings there. movie more than I remember the 88 Olympics in Calgary. See? So, you know, there's been... There's been threats to move before, and we don't have an, uh, an arena deal again. So, you know, maybe just, just to throw a little icing on the cake, maybe we get that this summer. I don't think so. I think we're going to get an arena deal here pretty quick. But, you know, that, uh, that, always, that always exists yeah. if you're a small market Canadian team, eh? Uh, no kidding. Uh, Canucks and Flames fans, uh, one thing in common, uh, both uh, very curious about where the directions of their teams are headed going into this offseason. Uh, really appreciate the time, Pat. Thanks for this. Thanks, boys. There is Pat Steinberg, Sportsnet 960 Flames Talk, joining us here on Canucks Central. Yeah, I mean, we, we, got the, we saw the uh, letter from the Winnipeg Jets uh, this afternoon. And had we seen it before, maybe we could have even spoken to a Jets person <laughs> today. I mean, and it's not that bad. I but mean, I guess it is. I mean, it's it's very veiled, but it's like <laughs> it's kind of like please buy season tickets so that we don't have to have this conversation. Yeah, I mean, they, they made a video too, which talked about hey, Winnipeg, it's uh, you know, uh, great <laughs> hockey market. We're in this together, yada yada. We stick up for one another. Uh, we, the team left before, yeah, but you know, we, this is a great market, but we're in this together, and. Essentially, this, this is this is the last line from their letter. Mm-hmm. Our commitment to keeping the Jets in Winnipeg forever has never been stronger, but it takes all of us together. <laughs> well, they had a huge like they've like released this as a press release, largest season ticket member sales drive since the team's return in 2011, and in the release. It says, is Winnipeg an NHL city? Yes, Winnipeg is an NHL city. And it reinforces that so long as fans are in Canada Life Center cheering on their team, the Winnipeg Jets will be in Winnipeg forever. 
So please buy tickets or we may have to have some uncomfortable conversations yeah. is essentially what it's saying. It is. It is what it's saying. I mean, so the Jets always had a very fine margin, a yes. very small margin for error. For them to work and for the league to kind of be like, or people to be like, all right, this is fine, is you sell out every game Yeah, in a big degree. And there's like, people are clamoring to go watch your games, right? And it's it's a hot it's market. It's not a huge building either. And it's not. It's and one of the smaller attendances, if not the smallest attendance. Outside of the, you know, Arizona Coyotes, wow. obviously. But yes. <laughs> but the real NHL. Yes, arena. yes, exactly. But, you know, just to be, you know, clear on the yeah. point. But you're right. It's one of the, you know, lower attendance. They don't even sell out their building. No. And when you start talking about we're in an NHL city and they invoke the team moving in the past, even if they're not saying we're moving, they're essentially saying if we don't sell enough tickets, this has to be on the radar. Because the other issue here is as much as the ownership group is committed, everybody has a price. Mm -hmm. What's the value of the Winnipeg Jets right now? Like six hundred million, seven hundred million, something along those lines. Well, Nashville's being sold for over nine hundred million, and Ottawa Senators are being sold for over nine hundred million. Yeah, but those are big markets. Yeah. So if you're if the the value for that team as long as it's, as it's in Winnipeg is lower, mm-hmm. the Sens have better attendance. Yes. The Sens have a better market. Yes. Than the Winnipeg Jets have. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 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 really problematic here for Winnipeg. Like if I think in a few years, especially with like they can go to an American market. Yeah. And the the value of the team will double. This has always been the conversation about not just Winnipeg, but also Quebec. Like, why doesn't the NHL go back there? Because of the fine margins of what it takes to keep those teams alive in those cities. And yeah, I mean, bold move by the Jets to phrase it the way that they have. But a reality, an uncomfortable reality exists with Winnipeg. Should be heading to the playoffs, though. Maybe that will help. No playoffs for your Vancouver Canucks. The penultimate game is on the horizon. Canucks and Anaheim Ducks from the OC. Pre-game is next on Canucks Central and on Sportsnet 650.